Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 more minutes with Andrew Weston. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm John Miro. And you've tuned in to a special edition of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is where the Roundtable and our listeners get to know our talented guest creator and explore their craft in our ongoing mission to improve our own. Indeed, it is an ongoing mission, a never-ending mission, and a good one to have. Dear friends, my co-host for this episode, John Miro, a true literary alchemist, uh, a former guest host on the RTP way back in episode 20, and we're like coming up on 92 or 93 here, so that's a huge thing. He's a podcaster, vocal performer, author of the epic sci-fi tale Far Lost and its recent spin-off story, Rundown, and whose Patreon continues to fill my inbox with literary delights. Dude, I am delighted and honored to finally have you sitting by my side on a 20 Minutes With episode, man. Thank you. Oh, it's great to be your Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa. I like that. That makes me Don Quixote, doesn't it? I wasn't going to call you a donkey in front of your guests, but sure, Dave. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's only fair. I think it's only fair. Well, John, let me let, let's let's dive into this. I just I'm settling into my virtual chair. It's like I'm looking over. Hey, there's John Miro over there. That's badass. Let's make this happen. Can I introduce you to our guest host for this episode? Please do. Ah, excellent. Excellent. Now, our guest host for this episode is a repeat offender here at the Roundtable, gracing the virtual studio for Workshop Episode 82. Uh, And you can hear his long and stalkerish intro in his 20 Minutes With episode back in June. Uh, But to recap, he was a Royal Marine turned police officer who always dreamt of being an astronaut. Uh, When he was wounded in the line of duty, they told him he'd never walk again, and Friends, never tell a Royal Marine there's something that they can't do, because that's just <laughs> going to end up badly. Uh, he and his wife moved to Greece, and he quite literally got back on his feet. Uh, now, during his convalescence, he started to write, producing the Guardians series and the Cambian series of novels uh, for Pagan Writers Press. And his work caught the attention of Janet and Chris Morris. Now, their imprint, uh, the astonishing Perseid Press, and if you have a chance, friends, check that badassery out, published his novel The Ninth. An epic military sci fantasy about the fate of the infamous Ninth Roman Legion. Uh, he also wrote a story for Perseid's Doctors in Hell anthology. Now, that story featured a compelling character, such a compelling character, uh, in the form of Damon Grimm, uh, Satan's hatchet man, that he was invited to write the first novel inspired by the In Hell anthologies. Now, that novel, titled Hellbound, just hit the shelves, and he just hit the RTP Virtual Studios. So, dear friends, please welcome back to the big chair here at the roundtable, Andrew Weston. Andrew, dude, you've got Hellbound out. I know you've been blog-touring like a mad fiend. Uh, uh, your life is is an unending carnival of delights uh so i'm really glad we could find the time and and, and uh, sit down to talk with you for a bit thank you sir thank you dave it's nice to be back in the land of the fabulous <laughs> <laughs> so very true so very true uh and now i'm right about that that hellbound is the first novel in the in hell anthologies right 
There have been one or two novels before. One of the more recent ones, I think it was back in 2012, actually, was um, Bridge Over Hell by Michael Armstrong. Ah, Uh, okay. There have been one or two novels before, but this is the the latest, as it were, and um, it's a special format, shall we say, because, um, you know, when we were devising the the character Damon Grimm, we thought uh, of a wonderful way to really establish him in the Heroes in Hell world or universe and, uh, you know, make make him not just a a mainstay character, but uh, to get him well grounded in in a universe that, well, you know, I say the early 1980s uh, or mid-1980s it's been going from. And it also, I mean, it's one, I think it's one of the first attempts to work in continuity where this novel picks up at the end of the short story that appeared in Doctors in Hell and then the next story for Damon Grimm in the next anthology is going to pick up right after the events of the novel, right? That's it. That's that's the first of its kind uh, in in relation to the novels. The, the other ones were were standalone novels. Um, right, right. Uh, this, as you say, uh, Grimm, uh, Satan's Reaper, uh, was introduced in um, the short story, uh, spookily enough, entitled Grimm, uh, within <laughs> Doctor Hell. And at the end of that short story, he like walks off into the night um, and disappears. Hellbound actually picks up at the end of that week. He's still there, still, as they call it, topside. He's finishing off his mission, and then he goes back down to hell, and things develop from there. So, And as you say, that's what we, we, we decided to do, is to uh, work him in tandem with the anthologies every year as they come out. Uh, we'd have you know, an anthology, a novel, an anthology, a novel, and every one carries on one from the other. It, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it keeps me on my toes, but it, it's... <laughs> Very well, so far. Very well. It's, it's, um, and it allows me to add a, a little depth into the novels, as I say, that really involve Grimm. Uh, sure. Well, within this, it's a vast playground. So, you know, I'm very. <laughs> oh, I'm very, yeah. And, and yeah. so many anthologies in the In Hell series. It's good reading. And, and I actually, I do want to come back to that later during this, but I actually want to start the clock now. Uh, yeah. So that was, that was just some, some friendly frolic. We're going to dive into it here. Let me start the clock. And we'll start our 20 minutes with Andrew Weston. Um, and and you know, we'll continue this discussion a little more pointedly. There's an old saying in, in fiction writing that strong stories are built on strong characters. And, and obviously, Damon Grimm certainly qualifies. Now, he got the attention of the Morrises, prompted a full-length novel uh, set in their continuity. So let's talk about... The development of Damon Grimm. How did that character evolve for you? So walk us walk us through your development process of how that character manifested as a storytelling tool. Well, to, to be honest, it, it came about. Uh, I say I, I dream about uh, many of my characters and uh, some of the plots from my books. I I don't know why I'm strange that way, but I can remember my dreams. I can even control quite a lot of what I dream about. I've always been able to do it since I was a child and. It just came up one like this character, you know, what would I do? Because uh, I was thinking of the heroes in Hell universe and, you know, what character could really make an impact within that universe, the likes of which they've never seen before? Uh, you've got certain characters within uh, the already uh, established universe. Who the, You've got The, um, the Undertaker. Uh, you've got uh, the Sabiti, which are um, personified weapons of the Plague God era. But I thought, you know, who could really, really make a difference? Uh, so you need someone who's going to be there, someone who's well-known around the world uh, in, in various guises. 
And I just thought, well, no one's hit on that idea of the Reaper. You know, I mean, look, look how widely established is the songs about him, the all sorts of literature about him, but no one thought to include him in this this wonderful series. So I thought, yeah, I'll have him because he is. He's, he's the type of person that I think, you know, he hides away in everybody. You know, the, the, there's aspects to him that you, you would really, you know, we all come across as absolute idiots who you would, oh, dear. You know, <laughs> you, you exercise patience, you bite your lip and you think, Oh, yeah, I'd really like to go Reaper on his ass. And, <laughs> you know, that, oh, dear. And, you know, you would believe, I, I live in a small village, but you wouldn't believe the amount of people here who you would like to do that to. So after, so I thought, yeah, well, yeah, I'll, I'll you know, develop a character around him. And, as you were, let myself play with it and put myself in his shoes. And what would I do in those circumstances? So, Basically, you know, it's an extension of my bad side, I suppose you could say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, if I may, I really think it's interesting that you've created a character that, as you said, addresses the vengeful and balancing nature that all the readers have. But also it, it really grounds the anthology with a character that, in a strange way, the readers can relate to. Precisely. That, that, that's what I was trying to do. The Reaper himself, I mean, you know, there's all this mythology about him. But I thought what I'm going to try and do is like take away the mythology so much and make him an actual living entity, a real life person that, you know, people can relate to in, in a sense. Yeah, he's an out and out killer. He's got no remorse. He will kill you as soon as look at you. But, look, for example, he doesn't lie. He never lies. And then that in itself is a chilling aspect because, you know, he's so sure of himself. He's so sure of what's going to happen. He doesn't need to lie. He doesn't need to trick you or cajole you or, you know, spin any yarns. You're on my list. You're dead. And that's going to happen. You know, now you can either cooperate and it'd be quick and easy. If you don't, I'll make you suffer. And and he's just so (laughs) blasé about it. It, it, He's a wonderful, wonderful character with an absolutely wonderful sense of humor as well. Well, that raises an interesting point then. So you came up with this cool concept and and uh, definitely, you know, that 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 has a lot of story food behind it. But then you went through a process to to make him an authentic being, to make him a, a, a true character. And that intrigues me. How how do you take go from a character concept to a, a fully fleshed, uh, 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 authentic character in a story? Well, th- what I did uh, in the, in relation to Grimm, first of all, I had to set him in a place because Hal, as you know, in Janet's um, Hell, there are many levels or different aspects to it. With Grimm, I thought, right, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give him a history. I'll give him a, a place from which he came. So uh, what I've done is I've based him in a dark form of London, old London town, if you like. Now, having established him there, there, there is, as it were, a British tang to him, if you like. Uh, he goes anywhere and everywhere, but you can see certain aspects of it. So, uh, his terminology, his language is, you know, obviously as I am, um, it's based from from England. Uh, having done that, I then look at some of the darker characters uh, from from Britain, from the Tower of London. That's where he's based in Hell. It's called the Black Tower in the Den of Iniquity. That they they just call the Den. Uh, there's a Hell version of that. And then from that, I, I started researching various aspects of various cultures or uh, how the Reaper is represented in various cultures, took various bits from it and basically made him Satan's go-to guy in times of trouble. You can imagine the type of um, denizens that end up in hell. They are the absolute scum uh, from history. And of course, when they get there, it doesn't matter what they've done, they 
most most of the time don't believe they should be there. So it's Grimm's job to keep them there. So right, that's the type of attitude he's got to have. I've got this these many levels of hell, full of idiots, full of backstabbing scumbags. They're all wanting to try and get out, although there's no way out. What, what type of per- personality would I have to have to stop them? And what I did then, I dipped into the darker side of myself as, you know, I was in the military and the police. <laughs> but, you know, there can be a bit of a dark side. I thought, well, what would I do to stop these films? But uh, remembering it's, you know, he's a literary character, but nevertheless, to try and make him, uh, or, or as you were, to portray him in such a way that he's appealing. Women will look at him and think, oh, yes, please. So that's definitely not me. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, guys who think, oh, yeah, I'd love to do So, you know, there was that balance of, right, I'm going to have you, and I don't care, I will rip your lungs out through your spine, but I'm also this really nice guy. If you, <laughs> Although it won't stop me killing you. So there was this balance, as I say, to, to an, an out-and-out cold-blooded killer with a guy that's, secretly most of us would like to be <laughs> <laughs> well and i was going to ask you about that because i mean the whole premise of the of the inhale series and certainly you've you've latched on to that very tightly uh, uh with with this character of grim um there's there's a darkness there there's there's a uh a, a, a pardon the pun a grim uh a theme that goes through there and and i'm was always curious and I'm always intrigued at, as I read those stories how they make that balance how do you walk that line between you know splatter gore just just being the the darker I mean these as you say these are the twisted souls of hell uh, uh, you could go really really dark with that how do you walk that line between you know visceral psychotic twisted nastiness and a story that is engaging and you know it might be horrifying but it's 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 not a gross out where, where do you draw that line how do you walk that to answer that simply and honestly believe it or not this might shock you i just dipped into what i used to have to do in the military as you know i was in special forces right and you are there to do a job and you pet children you're kind to animals i love kittens and things like this but when i'm there to do my job will be tired anyone who gets in my way and that's the same for you know your navy seals your spes- you know the world round grim has a job to do and that's what i thought i would do i tried to show the human side uh, well a, a human side to him that yes in, in hell for example relationships are frowned upon they're banned you can't have an intimate relationship because as you know that scene from um, some of the plots like if you try to uh, shall we say the result of excitement um, is ma- uh, flesh-eating scorpions and spiders and things like this. <laughs> However, the elite few are allowed to engage in relationships. For example, there's uh, a few husband and wife teams there, but nevertheless, it's still frowned upon. So I gave Grimm this thing that's, yeah, th- although he shouldn't, he does have a relationship with someone. He thinks very highly of her. He thinks, um, you know, the world of her, but he can't allow it to get in the way of his job because he is there for the sole purpose of upholding Satan's sovereignty. But and Andrew, a, you know, it seems to me he's got a real code that you see in the relationship, but also in the way he respects the job and his boss. He reminds right. me a little bit of like Constantine meets Judge Dredd. Ooh, nice. That's an excellent, excellent noise. Yes, <laughs> that, that is superb. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Andrew Weston after this brief promotional break. 
I'm the first. The first of a new kind of human being. The first and only true artificial intelligence. I'm not a huge fan of that term, though. I prefer not to use the term stranded time traveler. I am merely on an extended vacation. Against my will. Talking with normal people is almost impossible. I'm constantly on guard. What did you do over the weekend? I definitely didn't drink any blood. <laughs> I'd never do a thing like that. I mean, brother, when you crash your spaceship on Earth, you are pretty much shit out of luck. We don't need aliens anymore. Not when people have Twitter and YouTube and podcasts and Periscope and Voibox and Winger and heaven knows what else. I don't see the point in anyone living in the coffin. Right? Who benefits from our silence? Certainly not us. Look, I, I could take out this interview guy. I, I mean, I could, like, wrap this chain around his neck and kill him right now. Do you have any more questions for us? Well, I got a few, so if you want to hold off on wrapping around the, the chain, that would be good. This is Jared Axelrod. Join me on the voice of Free Planet X, where I interview aliens and time travelers, vampires and witches, advanced AIs and ancient monstrosities. It's This American Life for a Science Fictional Universe, and it's only at planetx.libsyn.com. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Andrew Weston. My most interesting thing, I think when you're creating a character that lives in a shared universe, I've yes. worked in shared universes myself, you have to have a tremendous understanding of the source material that's come before you. Mm. Um, in a way, though, you have to understand the blueprints more than the work that came before because it's your job to build something and especially, yeah. Andrew, with your role in continuity because in a series that gets old and needs a refresh, you're the spotlight view. It's, it's, it's like you're revising everything. What was the discussion with the team going in from Perseid Press like that? And what was, your, what was your goal when you started out becoming the anchoring to continuity? Basically, it was to, to, to make things fresh and keep things up to date. That's one of the reasons why we thought we'd do this leapfrog thing uh, through, the, uh, through the anthologies as well, as well as the novels. Um, Heroes in Hell has been around, uh, has been around for a long time now, say since the mid 1980s, and some of those older novels, people haven't even heard of it, and yet, you know, those who are in the know know it for what it is. Uh, you know, it's 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 extremely uh, well respected in certain areas, and of course, but nowadays uh, there's a new audience who don't know about it. So I thought, right, I've developed this character, uh, uh, and I say you, you've got to as it were, balance. What are readers expecting today? You've got things like Game of Thrones, for example. They love the blood and guts and the gore. They do. <laughs> you know, so I looked into th things like this. I was aware, for example, of the, you know, the Shannara Chronicles that are coming out soon. You know, things like that. So I thought, okay, okay. And, and basically what I did is right, I'm going to make him a character that could easily slot, for example, into those worlds. He is an out-and-out -out nasty Bastard. But like, like like we mentioned, he's all, you can also relate to him. You can see aspects of yourself in, in him. So in devising his character, in fitting it into that uh, you know already established universe, but I wanted to make him the type of character that was modern, that was fresh, that people could relate to, and you see aspects of his personality reflected in, in you know in what's on TV and what's in films a lot nowadays. I mean, look at Star Star Wars for example. Um, that's coming out soon, isn't it? 
who is one of the characters that they're going on and on and on about? It's um, is it Darth Reaven or you know the the new Dark Lord who's going to come out? Is a dark side to him. People love that dark character. They <laughs> love the villain. They love the baddie. And I wanted a baddie who was not just you know oh you know he is black as black. So what was go. what was the editorial process like? I mean, as as you submitted a draft, uh, was it was it reviewed by anyone besides Janet and Chris? Did did other uh, other writers have input or contributions to add to to establish the setting as a part of a continuity? Well, it was the editing team. They're, they're aware of it. There, there um, were certain changes that were made. Again, because I did my homework, I um, read as many of the older stories as I could, not just the anthologies, but, for example, I, I read um, Michael Armstrong's Bridge Over Hell because, again, to me, it was homework. It, was, it wasn't just entertaining, which they were. They're, that's the great thing about the anthologies. There's all different uh, flavors uh, within these anthologies, you know, um, from, you know, high adventure to blood and guts to uh, you know, the old Greek heroics, if you like. The, the, you know, the, there's these different backgrounds here, but it was homework to study what hell was all about and then try to incorporate aspects of that into my own story, but with a... Yeah, this precious slant that I say will hopefully keep it um, up to date and appealing to, you know, readers now. Sure. You have to know the playbook before you make new rules. Oh, yes, certainly, because, for, for example, um, what people might not be aware of is Grimm, for example, is my character. <clears throat> I devised him, I claimed him and so on. And other people can actually use him in their stories. However, if they do, they need to ask me, you know, what have you? what are you using him for? What will he be doing? If they do want to refer to him, it mustn't affect his character. It mustn't, de- it mustn't affect his development within the storyline that I'm developing. But they can nevertheless use him. In, in Hellbound, for example, some of his main protagonists are people I have also, you know, came up with. Um, Thomas Neil Cream is one of them. He was the Lambeth Poisoner, someone who they thought for a while was Jack the Ripper. So I can do whatever I like with him. But some of the other protagonists, for example, Tesla... Um, he's not my character, so I have to be careful what I do with him. Like you say, I have to learn the rules, what I can do, what I can't do, how far can I stretch things, and if I do, I've got to make sure that, it, you know, as it were, it loops around so that the, the owner of that character, then, um, you know, what they're thinking, what they might want to contribute in the future isn't affected. Okay. Instead of having a single showrunner, it's much more like being part of the DC or Marvel stable and sharing <laughs> a yeah. character. Cool, I wish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't we all? Yes. Let me ask you, Andrew, then, you know, when you wrote The Ninth, uh, which yeah. was your first novel with Perseid Press, um, obviously there was, that's a standalone, it doesn't exist in any, you know, known continuity yet, who knows what might come, uh, uh, and then, you know, you wrote Hellbound, which is very much in a continuity, and from a writing perspective, from a from a creativity and, and the evolution of a story, were there any differences, did you feel... Uh, I don't know. Did you feel freer writing the ninth and more constrained in writing Hellbound, or yeah. was, what were the differences in the writing experience for you? Well, as you know, when we talked about the ninth, I do a great deal of research before I even start writing. I, I am a world builder. I think if you give something a good foundation, then you know it starts to reflect in the story as you're writing it. But with the shared universe, like like you mentioned, there are constraints. The things I can do, there are things I can't. The things I must stay away from. And even where I can do certain things, there are rules that I have to... Like, for example, in hell, uh, no one can die. They're already dead. 
they have a form of semi-corporeal body. Uh, when they die normally, they go back to the undertaker slab where they are reanimated. Now, if they've died in the service of Satan, you know, they come back very much as they are. If they've been naughty, you can find out that your legs are where your head is and your head is where <laughs> your ass is. You can get mutilated and messed about, turned inside out and all sorts of things. And of course, you have to, you know, there are the rules that you have to, to, to apply to it. So it does constrict you. But it's quite funny. It keeps you on your toes. I found that um, in, in writing uh, Hellbound, even though it constrained me and I couldn't do what I wanted, it nevertheless, you know, was was good fun coming up with it. Okay, then, so I can't do that, but I can do that, you know, and it's just, yeah, and sure. it, it, it's good fun. Yeah, when you get a movie or a TV show that's got a small budget, they have to use their imagination to think outside yeah. the constraints. It's the same with pre-existing rule book. It's more fun sometimes when you get to put your own English spin on something that was there before. Yeah, precisely. And it's also nice because um, I've been able to uh, rely uh, for, uh, you know, for certain parts of the book on some of the hard work of other people, you know, with The Undertaker. He's an absolutely superb character, you know, that, like who's, who's riddled with halitosis, evidently. And there's, there's a lot of banter about that in Hellbound. And, you know, everybody hates him, of course. And But you can see there's a grudging respect between him and Grimm. They hate each other's guts. But, oh, yeah, well, he does his job and he does his job. You know, so I've been able to, like, use that as a, as a springboard to, you know, for, for some of the subplot that goes on behind the scenes. And, in future books as well, it's it, it's it's good fun. So there are constraints, but in a way, it's it's nice because um, it can channel your your creative process along ways that you wouldn't have otherwise thought. That's that's amazing, and that and that really advocates for me the the the, the pleasure and joy of working in a shared world. Uh, mm. Is 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 those constraints? You know, as writers, you know, we can write anything. Uh, uh, and sometimes, and, and John, I know you can back me up on this, and, and Andrew too, that can be paralyzing. The, 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 the complete blank scope, and we can fill it with anything, is, is almost too much. By stepping into a shared world, as you say, there are existing relationships that you can explore, uh, existing character formats, existing rules that, instead of constraining you, give you a framework on which you can build your stories. It is. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it because I, I like having control over things. I must admit, I'm. Uh, it, it's not. I'm a, I'm a controller, but my background. You know, you like to be. In, you know, from what I used to do in the forces, from in the you like to have a degree of control of things. And of course, this isn't my baby. Uh, this is Janet's baby, and it's a very, very big baby. <laughs> you know, it's like the blue whale of babies. Like whoa, and of course. What she says goes. But fortunately, I, and, and you know, I found out this as we've gone through the process, Janet and I very thankfully think alike on many things. So, uh, you know, for me, it hasn't been too painful. She hasn't had to slap my legs too many times. <laughs> just just the but fact that like you that. share headspace with Janet Morris is a is a chilling concept. <laughs> She's a harsh but fair taskmistress. That's right. Uh, Well, gentlemen, I I, I hate to say it, but the the clock has sprouted a a jewel-encrusted scythe, uh, and it's (laughs) waving it at me in in menacing fashion. I can only assume that means that we have have expended our our allotment of time for this particular dialogue. Andrew, as always, a delight to have you in the big chair here. Thank you, sir, so much for coming back and sharing some thoughts with us. No, thank you. It's been good fun. Good Absolutely. Fun. 
John, there was there was some intriguing writerly goodness there, and uh, I'm 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 curious from that twenty-ish esque minutes of 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 writerly discourse. What what are you taking away? What are you tucking into your writer's toolbox? Well, uh, my writer's toolbox has some tools from shared worlds before because of the tools that Janet and Hell and uh, Wild Cards was got to us before George R. R. Martin came up with something else he's famous for. These anthologies and the way that people get to play in each other's toolboxes always intrigues me. And what I think is the best takeaway here for me and for other writers is to find a way to play inside other constraints even if it's just as a writing exercise or a shared world of your own or of someone else's devising, you can write yourself out of those blank spaces that are paralyzing. And it's a great exercise for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and really, if you think about it, I mean, shared world is just legitimized fan fiction <laughs> when you ultimately get down to it. And, and we have had many guest hosts and guest writers who have espoused the virtues uh, uh, in terms of improving your craft in the fan fiction vibe. And like you say, working within those constraints. I couldn't agree right. more. For me, it was an, sort of an extrapolation of, of the exploration of how Andrew developed the character of Grimm. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the concept is, is usually fairly easy to come up with. I mean, that's, sort of, that's the first ep- exercise of creativity is give me a concept I can wrap around this character. He's a badass. He's a, he's a scientist. He's a this. You know, that archetypal frame that we all have, and everybody has a different frame for these different archetypes. But then that process uh, that Andrew used of, of rendering him an authentic character and using templates from multiple uh, uh, literary sources and then using his own aesthetic weaving that together into something that made sense to him that he connected with and because of that made him an effective character in the story that he told and that process continues to fascinate and delight me so that that's my takeaway for that yeah Andrew I have to say you created a real cold pastiche <laughs> you know, I, it's funny. There was nothing deep or profound, really, with coming up with this character. I, um, well, you know, I, I chatted with my wife when I was writing. I was saying, "Bloody hell, there's a lot of me in here <laughs> 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 from some of the things I used to have to do." And I'm thinking, you know, I can't tell people about this. They lock me up. <laughs> well, they say you write what you know, so you'd better start yeah, writing now. Precisely. That, I was just going to say that actually. I, I, you know, but. Like you said, you write what you know. And I thought in doing that, it made it very simple. When I came across various scenarios within the story, I thought, yeah, well, I do that. Well, I do that. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> well, thank God it's fiction. You can always fall back on it's fiction, guys. Honest. I, did, I didn't really do this in real life. Wink, nudge. Better me the vodka, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, friends. That I hope you enjoyed and, and got some good writerly goodness to tuck into your writer's toolbox as well during that fabulous 20-ish minutes. Now, here's the deal. Uh, uh, come back in seven days. We'll have Andrew back. We'll have John back. And we'll add into this, this equation of awesomeness uh, uh, the X factor, the guest writer, bringing a, a story feast uh, for us to brainstorm on. And I promise you, friends, it's going to be uh, uh, an epic task. Angle of golden threads into into glory, uh, but it is uh, that's seven days, and I know that's a long damn time to wait. I'm sorry, we can't do this any quicker. John, what what can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to to make that time just just whisk on the demon wings of time? 
Well, let's see, Dave. They could start with a visit to andrewpweston.com to yes. learn a little bit more about our guest or check out my stuff at servingworlds.com or they could, you know, get an early jump on their New Year's resolutions, maybe finish those festive shopping lists early. But if they're going to be true to the roundtable and their passions, I got to say, go right. Go right. All good advice. Excellent things. Because really, a light life is a rounded experience. It's not all right. And you do need to do those things. But writing definitely needs to be a part of it. Badass. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, that you find what you're looking for. So look for the wow. Look for the, oh, hell yeah. Look for the fabulosity in the world. And if you look for it, I swear, I promise you will find it. We will be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.